Are you ready to uncover the power within you? Are you ready to kick butt at life? Are you ready to get this party started? This is Shut Up and Grind. If it's about fitness, women's empowerment, personal development, small business marketing, relationships, Robert B. Foster is talking about it. Robert is a gym owner. He went from foreclosure to multiple six figures in 12 months. Helped thousands of women shed weight and inches while becoming more confident. And a six times gold medalist in the Transplant Games of America. Get ready for Shut Up and Grind. Here's your host, Robert B. Foster. Right, welcome everyone. Happy Sunday. It is episode number 30 of Shut Up and Grind with Robert B. Foster. So today I have a crew with me. So it's not, not just me and one other guest. I have a crew. And we're gonna talk about the hot button topic of race relations. So why are we gonna talk about this? Mainly because people are afraid to have this conversation. People get very uncomfortable when you're having this conversation. And things can get ugly. Things can get heated. Well, I have a panel of people on today where we're going to we're going to display that you can have this conversation. You can have a tough discussion without getting immature about it, because at the end of the day, that's pretty much what it boils down to is if people start name calling, start questioning people's education and it turns into a history lesson. And then you end up talking about everything except the issue at hand. (laughs) Right. So the issue at hand is. What is your experience? And if your experience isn't the greatest, what can you do to change your experience? So that's that's the avenue that I want to put this this panel on, you know, down that path. Because anybody can talk about problems. Anybody can. Everybody has problems. Everybody has struggles. Everybody has difficulties in life. But what are you going to do about them? Like, how how are you going to improve upon them? How are you going to learn from them? So this is what we're going to discuss today. So I'm going to bring my peeps in one at a time and we're going to do a quick intro first and then we'll get into to the discussion. So up first is Carlika. Unmute yourself, sister. I was getting ready to calm down. From <laughs> <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. Happy Sunday. My name is Carlika Katrina Basnack Menendez. Yes, all of that. And you're probably like, what? Yes, you heard it, but I write it. I am an invisibility coach, and so I'm all about awareness, visibility, and engagement. It's about connecting with people, building relationships to form partnerships. So I hope you all are ready for this topic on today. Look, y'all, I have my water, and guess what? My handy-dandy paper towel, because I'm already having a hot flash. I'm in menopause. So, look, don't mind me if you see me up here drinking and patting all of this stuff. So, Rob, thank you so much for the opportunity, and I'm excited. Awesome. <laughs> I love it. Just uh, mute, mute yourself again. Up next is Saida. Unmute yourself. Give a quick intro. Good morning, everyone. Morning. Um, my name is Saida Hernandez. Eni Hernandez. Um, try to pronounce that correctly. <laughs> and I'll give you $50. But anyways, <laughs> yes, my name is Aileen Hernandez. And um, I, my background is in social services. Um, so I see a lot of things in this life that I prefer not to see. So that's it. 
Looking forward right. to this conversation. Awesome. Thank you for joining us. Okay, just mute yourself again. Up next, we have Professor Biz. Unmute yourself. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Happy Sunday to you. Uh, I'll go by Professor Biz. I'm an independent hip-hop artist, mental health advocate, photographer, videographer. Uh, if you know anything about being an independent artist, you know a lot of hats that you got to wear, including, if you can hear in the background, a husband and father. So <laughs> that's uh, that's life. I would say, uh, truthfully, I kind of live for these conversations. Like, uh, aside from being a, a Christian and sharing faith, I also know that it is difficult to uh, have mature conversations where we can actually bridge gaps between um, between places where people don't necessarily see the same, you know, and uh, I believe it takes uh, a mature person to be able to listen and uh, to be able to speak to speak and listen to understand rather than listen to respond. So these types of conversations like I live for, and I I really think that we as, as humans, like all of us are just looking to be understood. So hopefully this will be uh, that time and place where we're able to do so. So excited to have uh, in the conversation and thank you very much for the opportunity, Robert. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for joining. All right. Up next, we have Ziz. Good morning, everyone. Ziz Abdul-Raouf, former athlete, professional NFL football player, coach, consultant, yoga instructor, just taught a really super awesome yoga class and I love working with people. So happy to be here and have this discussion. Nice. Thank you for joining. Appreciate it. Next up, we have David. Unmute yourself. There we go. There we go. Uh, I am David (laughs) Schwan. I am the Chief Human Potential Officer with Spotlight Coaching. In other words, what I do is I help people figure out what their potential is, and we put together a plan and help people achieve that potential. Um, And uh, I'm just happy to be here. And uh, Put in my uh, my two cents on this. I think this would be a great conversation. Awesome. Thanks for joining. My kid, Olivia. Unmute yourself, sister. Unmute yourself, sister. It's there's lag on my end, but hello. My name is Olivia. Um, I'm a okay, there is lag on my end, but hello. My name is Olivia. Um, I'm a first year college student at University of Rhode Island, and I'm planning to meet like my dad. Yeah, you get a lot of lag on your end. All right. Well, thank you for joining. Okay, mute yourself. And last but not least, we have Allison. Hi. I am a coach for entrepreneurs and I help them to create and master a powerful inner mindset so that they can grow their business with ease and a lot more speed than they think is possible. So I am very excited about this discussion. Me and Rob have talked about this subject a number of times before. Yep, yep. yes, we have. <laughs> yes, we have. All right, so go ahead and mute yourself again so we can kind of control the background noise. All right, and so for those that don't know me, I'm Rob Foster, and my 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 background it's it's multi multifaceted. So I was born in New York City. So you know my parents lived in the projects, but I was raised rural. <laughs> so there's two completely different worlds there. So I go back to where where we were in New York City, 
and I look around at the projects and just look around at just the environment, at the people, and the way I was raised, I just, I don't identify with that life. Like, I don't. But at the same token, that doesn't change the tone of my skin. <laughs> so so people will, will tell me like, oh, well, you know, you can't talk about these issues because you, you don't have an inner city upbringing. That's okay. F- fair enough. But I've coached in the inner city. I said the bulk of my family still lives there. I ha- I've had a lot of exposure in that environment. And I feel like I'm qualified to, to speak on what goes on there. And so why we have different different ethnic backgrounds here is because everybody has a voice at the table. Everybody does. So once we start silencing groups, you're, you're trying to fight racism with racism. <laughs> so if you're saying someone who's white, you can't, you can't speak about, about racism, but they can. They can. Oh, white is a race, right? Racism isn't just white on black. It's not. It's not just white on the world. That's not how it works. So if you dislike anyone just from their appearance, that also is racist. So that like that's one thing I want to get my definition down. And again, your definition can be different. You have that, you have that right to view the world the way you view it. But that's my definition. So if you're if you're a white person and you're in a predominantly black area, chances are you're gonna feel a certain way. And vice versa. You know, if you're an, an Asian person who's in a predominant Hispanic area, you might feel a certain way. So this isn't just a one-way street. And so as I bring you guys on, I want you guys to share your experiences, you know, briefly, because like we want to get through through everyone and just give a quick synopsis of your background. All right. We're gonna start with Carlika. Okay, so I love what you said about that, um, that everyone has a story, everyone has a background. And so I think a lot of times people assume because of your skin color. So my background, um, two-parent home, we had a culture shock because we went to predominantly white schools. So the majority of our friends were white kids. So when we moved, the principal was just like, yes, bring them on and bring them on. We had a total culture shock because now we went to a predominantly black school and we were not accepted at all. We were called Oreos. Um, we were called, you know, so many other names. <laughs> Look, Ziz, don't be laughing at that. <laughs> we were called Oreos because I remember the first day of school, we had all of, you know, we had our backpacks, we had our highlighters, we had everything. We go to the homeroom, my sister and I, and people are looking at us like, um, it's the first day of school. Why do y'all have all this stuff? So they were laughing at us and we're like, um, okay. So then I went through this cycle of, oh, she thinks she's better because she's light skinned. So a lot of my racism didn't even come from other cultures. It came from my own. Until this day, even in the workplace and different things, it's my own people. It's not even other ethnicities. So a lot of people just assume and they're like, oh, they didn't struggle. And I'm like, it's sometimes we sat without the lights on. You didn't know about it though. It's times I went to high school smelling like kerosene because we didn't have heat. Mm-hmm. So people are boom, but I'm like, yeah, I remember Oreo like like it was yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a- along those lines, same same thing. I've constantly been told you're the whitest black guy ever. Back when I had hair, you know, I didn't. My hair was never right. Like it wasn't faded properly. I got hated on for my clothes. You know, the way I spoke. They're like, like you don't speak like a black person. I'm like. 
speak like a black person? Like, is that a thing? <laughs> you know, but I agree hundred percent. I've, I've had my um, black card revoked so many times. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's like, I mean, it's, it's not funny, but you know, it's, it's just the irony, but, but it's things like that, that other people don't realize happens. Like I've had conversations with my daughter and I thought like in college, I got more hate from people who looked like me than anyone else. I got more hate. And, and that's kind of been the case throughout, throughout my life, you know, especially in the, the inner city environments. It's like, you don't belong here. I'm like, but, uh, but I'm, I'm one of you. <laughs> it's like, we're on the same team here. You know, it's like, we're on the same team, but it, you know, you just get treated like you aren't, you know? All right. Thanks for sharing that. I'm going to come back to you. All right. Saida, you're up next. You got to unmute. <laughs> yeah. um, like I mentioned before, my name is Saida. Um, I was born in New York. I've never lived there, although people think <laughs> I'm a New Yorican. <laughs> I'm very extremely Puerto Rican. <laughs> I am so Puerto Rican, it hurts. Um, so anyways, I was raised in, mostly raised in Boston um, in my childhood. Um, in the 70s, what I didn't know until I started going to school, to college, um, I was raised during the time of integration of the schools. Um, I was raised in um, Roxbury, Mass, um, early 70s, uh, Mission Hill Projects, um, primarily Black community, African-American community, I should say. And most of the Latino people there were people who were coming in from Puerto Rico, almost like the change in um, New York. Same thing was happening um, in Mission Hill. Um, so there were very few Latinos. Um, I never thought I experienced racism, again, like I said, until I got older. Um, I recall, you know, white people coming to our school, pulling their kids out and police up on the roof and all that stuff. And again, didn't realize it until I went to school and saw this stuff in the school books. And I was like, wait a minute, I lived this when I was little, you know. Um, then um, back and forth to Puerto Rico, um, living in Puerto Rico, moved to Rhode Island. Again, we moved to the south side. Um, primarily African-American community, then Latinos started slowly moving in. Um, there was one Latino store, <laughs> two, 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 <laughs> one on Prairie Avenue and one on Broad Street when I, when, when I moved to Rhode Island. Um, and my first experience um, with racism in Rhode Island was a woman who didn't want me, I'll never forget this experience, a woman who didn't want me to serve her. Um, and she said, your hands are dirty. It was summertime and mm. I, I'm a little darker in summer. And she kept saying, your hands are dirty. And the manager said, go to go, go, go get me something in the back. I'll get her. And then afterwards, um, when my shift was almost over, slow down, she said to me, um, it's because of the color of your skin. Mm. And I, was like, oh. <laughs> like, I was just so like, wow, you know. And um, again, as I got older, as I more education, um, more educated, dealt more with, you know, um, the professional world. Um, I want to say that a lot of, I always thought my family's all black. If you saw my family, <laughs> if they're all like dark skin to light skin black, um, except for my dad, who was, my mom's from Loisa, which is, um, Loisa Puerto Rico, which is, um, 
where a lot of the, the slaves stayed. Um, there was a more, they kept the slaves there because it was near the ocean and they couldn't, you know, swim. They were afraid to swim or the water. So a lot of the African, we have deep African roots. So, you know, my dad used to say, my dad was racist, by the way. White man from Ponce, Puerto Rico. Very racist. I used to yell at him all the time. Um, until the day he died, I yelled at him because he would say really racist things about Black people. So that's a lot of my um, my upbringing. I struggle. Rob knows <laughs> how yeah. I struggle with my, you know, Puerto Rican-ish. I'm not Puerto Rican enough. I'm not Black <laughs> enough. You think you're white, <laughs> you know, because I have a little education. So there's race. He's right. There's, you know, there's racism from all ends from, you know, we all have a little bit of prejudice and racism in us. If you say you don't, you're lying. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> that's it for me, I think. Okay. All right. Thank you for sharing. All right. Professor Biz, you're up next. Okay, what's going on? I feel like uh, I feel like there's a lot of family in this place right now. I'm gonna tell you exactly why. Uh, born in Manhattan, raised in Brooklyn, moved to Indianapolis. I now live in South Florida, right north of Miami, Broward County. Um, Carlika and Robert, yeah, y'all have uh, resonated with my story tremendously. Uh, my parents, uh, my dad had his doctorate before I was born. My mom had her master's before I was born. My mom just completed her doctorate, um, like at 67 years old, flipping awesome. But I'll say this much, like uh, when you are on that income boundary to where your parents understand the value of education, so they send you to this school, but you live in this neighborhood and you come home with a uniform, yeah, so Carlika, you're, what, what you're saying about like, oh, okay, why do you speak this certain way? It's like, oh, your mom is an author? Nah, black people don't write books. They don't do that. It's just like, yeah, what? Like, you know what I'm saying? This is just, my, my parents were, um, my mom is from Barbados and my dad is from Indy, so Indiana. So um, when they moved to New York, now anybody who's been to New York, if you lived to New York in some time, you understand this. You either die, survive, or thrive in that city. That's it. There's there's no in-between. So my parents learned to thrive and being their only child, that's what they taught me. So in terms of education, high. You know what I'm saying? And for Zayda, um, yo, Puerto Rican over on my dad's side, Dominican over there. So you know what time it is. We rocking and rolling. That's what it is, right? Um, I would say in terms of, in terms of racism, like, I, I've found, I've actually started with, you know, the internet nowadays. I've started to hear more stories of some Black people who have never experienced it. So it's it's interesting to me, right? Um, I'd say between living in Indiana, living down here, um, being told in high school that I couldn't go over to certain friends' houses, like, nah, 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 they've got the Confederate flag hanging outside, so I couldn't go over there. Or, you know, Confederate flags with people with uh, trucks, you know, driving over to school and stuff. I remember the first, like the first week I moved to Orlando, there was a KKK parade downtown. I was like, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, but I'll, I'll definitely say um, like, this is just, so there's a lot of uh, 
observatory information that I have concerning racism. And then there's a lot of personal experience as well. Um, oh, lost um, there he is. Oh, okay. He lost me. He's still, still there. We good? Yep. Yep. We're good. Okay. Okay. So uh, one of my mom's, one of my friends who I used to hang out with in school, um, stopped hanging out with him. And my mom saw his mom on the train and was, and was um, asking, like, you know, why can't I go over there? And it was like, oh, because his dad doesn't like black people. So that's the end of that. Um, you know, in terms of stores, like, I could say on average, the stories that you have heard with black people being followed around, uh, those kind of things. Even though, like, one thing that I, I haven't really began to understand is, like, <sighs> When you look at people like from a generalization standpoint, everybody looks the same. But when you start to observe, I'm like, man, you could really you could look at somebody's eyes long enough and start to see what their intentions are. I'm mm -hmm. like, I'm like, so if you go into a store like you can see when somebody is just like, you know, awake, alert, as opposed to them having, you know, malintentions. And I'm not saying that's everybody. But what I am saying is like a lot of people don't really take that closer look. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I say that's that's uh, you know just an interesting part for me. I'm still uh, I'm still growing and learning, but my parents taught me how they were like, "Look, you move the same in the boardroom as you do in the streets. You got to be able to move everywhere. You got to be able to understand everybody." So I grew up hanging around. When I tell you, everybody—Jewish, Pakistani, Indian, Korean, Irish—doesn't matter, man. People are people, and we're my parents. You know they're. they're building business so it's just about hey we we work with people uh we work with people people are people and really everybody's looking for the same thing to be able to have peace to be able to live and you know to be able to have people who understand them so yeah uh, that's, that's where i am right now man. awesome thank you yeah and people want to be happy <laughs> happy is universal doesn't matter how how you look doesn't matter what language you speak doesn't matter what god you serve None of that matters. People want to be happy at the end of the day. All right, Ziz, you're up next. Well, like most of the earlier panelists said, I'll, I'll take a little bit of a different approach. Having played sports, there are people on your team who might have issues with you because of the color of your skin or your religion or whatever, but you figure out how to work together because the ultimate goal is to win. So I like to, and what I've taught my children is you find what you're looking for. So if you're looking for racism, you'll find it. If you're looking for sexism, you'll find it. That's pretty much my approach. And like the others have said, I've been treated poorly by people who look like me um, and poorly by treat people who didn't look like me. So my approach is I try to treat people how I wanna be treated. And that's, that's the energy that I give off. Um, it's very interesting because um, Zaida said, I think I just, I think I just got $50, you know, so, so on the back of my Jersey that I wore was Abdur Raouf and my first name, I just say Ziz now only because, I mean, I'll be honest with you because of some things that have happened over the last five to six to seven years. I didn't want to necessarily be a target because I wanted to minimize that. So instead of saying Azizadine or Aziz, 
I just said, let's just go with Ziz, made it easier for people. And that way we get, we get beyond what the label looks like. And that's, that's how I roll. I get beyond the labels. I love people. I love interacting with people. And let's just face it. There are some people with malintent and there are a lot of people who don't. And there are a lot of people who are just ignorant and just don't know. And the people who are ignorant and don't know when they really don't know, it's our job to teach them. Bingo. Bingo. Love it. All right. Thank you, sir. All right, David, you're up. <clears throat> Unmute. There we go. Yep. There we go. There we go. Um, well, see, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit of the, the, the backwards. I grew up in rural America for probably till about third grade. And then we had a house fire. And because we were low income, we went from living out in the country with like 10 families that lived within a mile of us to being directly in the center of uh, our local projects uh, where we were one of, you know, there was about 300 families in the complex. Three of us were light skinned. Um, and that is a, uh, that's an awakening uh, for real. Uh, you know, it's uh, so, you know, just going through that experience and going, well, you know, uh, at a young age gone, I don't like the way it looks when, you know, somebody starts looking at you weird just because of the color of your skin. And, you know, in that put a that was a, a very early education for me of gone, you, you know, these people don't know me. And it was like, that was the point where I was like, look, we're all the same. It doesn't really matter. It's, it's like, uh, like Ziz was saying, it's all about your intent and who you are. And, you know, I, I go back to the, the, the mother Teresa saying on this is, uh, you know, people, people want to rally things against, you know, certain things. And it's like, uh, you know, back in the war movement, she'd be like, what, you know, they were like, well, why don't you come support our anti-war movements? And she said, when you have a peace movement, I will show up because I think instead of concentrating on the racist part, we need to concentrate on the teamwork part. And, you know, that's that, that to me, and, and like I said, I learned that lesson very early in life that look, it's all about teamwork. Um, because I've met, you know, I, I figured out that horrible, nasty, mean people, it has absolutely nothing to do with skin color or where they're from, because I've met rich buttholes. I've met poor <laughs> buttholes. I've met, you know, it's like, look, I found out like your economic background, your skin color, your sexual orientation. None of that matters on whether you are a good person, a bad person, religion, throw religion in there. You know, it's like, look, I found out that, look, good people are good people. Bad people are bad people. And we just, you know, you just got to figure out which ones, uh, you know, which ones are the good people that are in your life and, you know, walk away from the bad people unless they're asking you to cha help them change. You know, the, the, the people that mean ill will, they just mean ill will. And, you know, really, uh, unless they're looking to change, the sooner you get them out of your life, the better off you are. Awesome. Love it. Thank you for sharing. Livia, you're up. She's having computer issues, so she's going to take my chair. Am I unmuted? Yeah, you're good. Okay, I feel fancy sitting here. It's a little bit. <laughs> Hi, everyone. My name is Olivia. I'm Rob's daughter. Um, as I said before, I'm 18. It's my first year in college. And well, actually, first, um, 
I was listening in from what I could hear about everybody and I agree with everybody's perspective, but kind of on the other side, being a teen and also living in 2020 is a lot different than it was in the eighties or nineties. But I remember one time my dad and I, we were going to Tennessee to visit my mom and you're going down there. We see a lot of Confederate flags. People, and I remember we got to this convenience store and I saw a man with Confederate pants and I felt a little uncomfortable, you know, just because this day and age we're one nation now, but you're allowed to dress how you like, you know? So you go in the store, there are a couple of Caucasian men and already inside, you have two people behind the cashier um, desk and they're laughing, having a time. We come in, I see them sort of look at us in a weird way, sort of like, I was like, okay, that's a little weird. But anyways, we're going around the store. We were getting, I think we got some water, I think a couple snacks. And as we approach the cashier, they sort of go quiet and they're just staring at us. And, you know, I kind of look at my dad thinking, why are they not greeting us the same way they're greeting the other men? So once we leave, then I asked my dad, I was like, they were kind of just staring at us. I was like, why, why didn't they greet us? And, you know, everything with him turned into a life lesson, but that's okay. <laughs> so you started telling me how, you know, they're not used to seeing a lot of colored skin people down there. And, but you can't let that affect you. So like when I go to college, even though most of my classes have been online, when I'm walking around, I'm not worried about how other people think of me because I know when I actually talk with somebody and they see that I'm a pretty good person, you know, I have good grades, I you know, have dreams and goals, that means more than my complexion. And I sort of think that's more important and how, how you view the world and how, you know, your life is not set out to just go to school, get a job and just work for the rest of your life. You can have dreams, you can have goals, you know, but you have to put the work in. You know, my dad, as he said, we're always talking about racism and seeing how, and a lot of inner cities, their families, they're stuck in this cycle for generations and how, you know, they're doing what works for them. Is it the best way to live? Maybe not, but that's what works for them and that's what they're comfortable with. But it sort of takes someone to break that cycle and say, hey, you know, we can become president like Barack Obama. We can become a successful lawyer, but you have to be willing to put in that work and not let other people's views or prejudice affect you because you are your own person you're allowed to have your own dreams your own goals and no one else can tell you hey you're not allowed to do that you know that's not okay anymore you're allowed to find out who you want to be and yeah I think Oh, it just touches your soul when the kid actually gets it, you know? <laughs> See, although she actually spliced two different experiences there. So the time in Tennessee wasn't the water. That was Vermont. Uh. <laughs> but but yeah, she she's right. So after that that water, we get back to the car. And, and I just told her, I'm like, you, you know, you aware what, what just happened? And uh, you were like, what, 11, 12, somewhere around there? And she's like, what? I was like, see how they greeted everyone except us? And she's like, oh my God. Like her face got up. But she's like, oh my God. She's like, is that like, is that like racism? And I thought, I said, no. I said, now listen. I said, now what what was our goal here? I said, our goal was to get a case of water. So we walked into the store, we got a case of water, and we're leaving. 
I said, we don't know any of them. I said, so their opinions of us don't affect our life. I said, if they have an issue with the way we look, that's on them. Right? I said, that's on them. I said, that has nothing to do with us. So we, we accomplished our goal. And now we head back to Rhode Island. You know, so that was that, that life lesson for her. All right. Bring it at home. Allison, you're up. Ziz, mute yourself, please. So I am from Rhode Island. I grew up in Rhode Island. I'm American born in a very diverse family. And um, I grew up between two towns in Rhode Island. One was pretty diverse. One was not. And so I've grown up my whole life uh, with different cultures and different backgrounds and didn't realize until later in my life that other people didn't do that. So um, it was a big awakening to me later on in life, realizing that some people don't have diverse families and some people aren't just naturally gravitated to whoever's around. And some people have preferences based on backgrounds and things of that nature. Um, you know, I have a really big diverse background in my family. And so that was always normal to me. We speak, a number of us speak different languages and that was always the norm to me. Um, then when I was, one thing that really woke me up though, and I've always been pretty allergic to racism my whole life, probably because I've um, just always had the experience that, you know, diversity was normal, right? So anything outside of that to me was always very strange and um, worth like really getting in someone's face about. <laughs> so, so that was... Um, that was my norm and I've always been pretty allergic to racism, but then I had, I learned about it in a new way when in my late teens, early twenties, um, I was in a five-year relationship with, um, a black American guy. And this was from 1999 to 2004 when interracial dating was not as common as it is today. Right. And I learned a lot of things about his experience that I wasn't aware of. Right. So I remember one time, we were driving home from work because we did everything together. We were like Siamese twins, right? So we were driving home from work and uh, stopped at a store in Foxborough, Massachusetts, if you know where that is. And it's not mm -hmm. a diverse area at all. And now it's a little bit more because it's where the Patriots play, right? And now a lot more people go into that area. At that time, there was no Foxborough Stadium Patriot place. And it was a pretty ruralish area. And he came out of the store and he had kind of a weird look on his face. And I was like, what happened? He was like, yeah, that the lady in there, she was like old school racist. I was like, well, what do you mean? She's like, he's like, well, when I, when I gave her the money, I gave her the money to pay for my stuff. And she, when she gave me the change, she slid it to me on the counter. So she's like, she, you know, like she didn't want to touch him or something, whatever. Right. The old school right? You're, I'm better than you, you know, you're damaged goods, whatever, right? So, um, so that was something that I was, I had never experienced before. I didn't realize at that, even at that time that people still did things like that, right? So that was an awakening for me. And it didn't come up a ton, but there were definitely people who had opinions about he and I being in that relationship and people who would act funny at times for various reasons. So that opened my eyes up in a new way because after growing up in a family where diversity was the norm, right? And in an environment where diversity was the norm, I realized it wasn't the norm for everyone. 
So that's my background. Very, very true. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> All right. So my here's here's another take that I want to get everyone's opinion on is the media. Okay, so I was watching an interview with Morgan Freeman, and he said the host asked him, you know, so what do you think is the key to stopping rape racism? And Morgan Freeman's response was, stop talking about it. He's <laughs> like, as long as you talk about it, then it exists. And it's so true. But if you look at the way things are reported, race is only mentioned when it's white against black. The only time. So like downtown, I believe two Hispanics got in, got into a fight. One stabbed the other. It's just man stabbed in Providence. You know, someone breaks into a house, you know, man breaks in the house, woman breaks in the house. But when it's white on black, the race gets specified. And if, if you pay attention to that, that's 100% fact. It gets specified. It'll say white man shoots black man or stabs black man. And it's an even better if it's a white cop. Right. So there is definitely a narrative being played here because notice since the election, BLM is very quiet. Did anybody has anybody paid attention to that? There's no there's no cities on fire anymore. Michelle Obama's not coming on talking about how white people are afraid of her and Barack. That stuff's not happening anymore. Like there's a narrative being played that a majority of people are getting sucked right into. Right into it, because if the. Like you can tell, and like Allison, you say this all the time, right? You can tell what channel people watch by the things they say, right? So the media is controlling people's minds. More importantly, they're controlling people's emotions because when people get emotionally triggered, they take action. And what are the actions? Liking, sharing, commenting, buying newspapers, buying magazines, right? The media is going to bank to the bank off of racism. Now, I'm not trying to say stuff doesn't happen because stuff absolutely happens out there. But like, as I said with my daughter, it doesn't have to stop your forward progress. It doesn't have to define who you are. Like if I walk into a, to a liquor store to get whatever and the cashier's mean mugging me, that, that's got nothing to do with me. I know who I am. I know my character. I know my intention. What they think of me, that's not my problem. Like that's a demon they have to deal with. But But the problem is... Stuff gets magnified in the media, and then people are so quick to get triggered before they even get the full story. You know what I mean? So I just want want to go I want to go through again. This time we'll go in reverse order, and we'll start we'll start with Allison, and just want to get your take on how you feel the the role that the media plays in keeping racial tension alive. So I believe that. So there's a kernel of truth there, but I don't agree with everything mm-hmm. um, in that. First of all, we have to remember that that sort of black versus white headline. Uh, really, I think that narrative started primarily about six to eight months ago when there was a, like a period of about 12 weeks where there was a number of um, black people who were killed either by white cops or other white supremacists who um, and, and that triggered sort of a whole momentum of force against um, against racism, right? And the whole BLM movement got stronger in that whole bit, right? But it's fading and it's been fading. So I don't think the election is the only um, is the only variable 
in that, right? So it's been fading. It's in, in August, things calm down, right? And every, this is just what happens when we have a big wave of something, it gradually calms down. So I'm not, I don't think it's 100% the election. Okay, so that's one, one area that I disagree. Um, I also think, and this is one area that you and I see differently, is that you have a belief that uh, racism always is going to be in existence to some degree. And I don't believe that. I think we can do much better. I think it's important to look at those little nuances and figure out how we can fix them. And the media needs to bring that, that to our attention in order to do that, right? So yes, the media, the media is, in, is a business, right? And they wanna, you know, they have an agenda. They wanna make their money, right? And I can't blame them, they're a business, right? Every business wants to make money. Okay, so they have the clickbait headlines and things of that nature. They haven't always done that. And I'm going to give you an example. Do you remember C Cornell Young, who was killed here in Providence? It rings a bell. Okay, so about 10 years ago, we had a black cop here in, in Providence, Cornell Young. You remember Zida, right? And he was killed by his own team member, a white cop, okay? There was, an, there was an incident after hours, okay? They're at FIDAs and he stepped in to help the cop. The, this was a cop that he was trained with, okay? They knew each other. He shot and killed Cornell Young, okay? And you know what? That cop got off and that was never in the, in the headlines, okay? There was no racial anything made about that. And that was a major, major issue. And I think that cop should have gone to jail. What, what year was that? Around 2010. All right, because this, this, start, this started happening right around the, the Trayvon Martin shooting. That's, that's when the, the headlines, I think that was what, 2013, 2014, somewhere around there? Maybe but so. Yeah, because that's when the headlines really started taking over with the, the, uh, the racial reporting. But yeah, yeah. Um, in that regard, like I said, you know, we're we're all not gonna agree a hundred percent on everything. But like, I I see it as you know, the media is definitely baiting. And if you you backtrack every four years for at least the last the last twelve years, there's racial unrest. And you, I, I know we we've, we've had many conversations about this, but there's 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 racial unrest. And for those that support BLM. Like I said, if you click donate now, click a couple other links and get to the heart of the fine print, that money goes to the Democratic Party. Like they are a political wing of the Democratic Party, similar to the, the NRA to the Republican Party, right? They are that money over a billion dollars. Not one school was renovated. Not one scholarship was given. No you know, communities being built up. None of it. That money went to politicians, and that's a hundred percent fact. So, like in that regard, it's definitely directly related to the election. Because it's sick, it happens every four years. You watch in 2024, there's gonna be racial unrest again. So if it doesn't happen four years from now, you can be like, I told you so, but it's gonna happen. You know. So Ziz, you're up. You know, so the media. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out, are we talking about the political 
election or are we talking about the media? Because the media, like Allison has said, and I think all of us would agree, they're in the attention grabbing mm -hmm. business. And we live in a world now where we're saturated and we're so busy, it's hard to grab people's attention. So what's one of the easiest ways to grab someone's attention? Mm -hmm. By saying something inflammatory. So it gets our attention. As far as um, what I think is actually happening now, ABC or the major networks, they aren't getting nearly the number of eyeballs that they used to get, even the newspapers, because people are grabbing their news from different outlets, whether it's their social media channels. So I think what we're starting to see, a gravitation toward individuals relaying news to us and however we pick up that news is really interesting. If you all have not seen The Great Hack, I think it's a great piece to watch, uh, along with The Social Dilemma, that shows how political parties, whether it's Republican or, or Democratic, how they use information against us. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I think it comes back to ignorance and mindset. You know, if you read a story and you only read one perspective, you know, maybe take another look at three or four or five different other perspectives. But people are so busy, they don't have an opportunity to do that. So therefore, they only hear from one news outlet. And I think it's been clearly stated, like someone has said, you can you definitely know what outlet people watch based on what comes out of their mouth. Yeah. I mean, I find it laughable when someone said that Trump has done more for black people. I remember hearing that in the neighborhood. I literally said to someone, I never wear a watch. I looked at my watch and I said, oh, I, I got to zoom in five minutes. I never watch one. I was like, OK, I got to go because obviously <laughs> I'm not going to get engaged in a conversation with that person because I already know where they're coming from. Yep. Very true. All right. Thank you. Olivia, you ready? No? Okay. <laughs> Professor Biz, you're up. <laughs> All right. I'm going to do my best to keep this under three minutes. What was the question again? <laughs> Your feelings on the media, the media's re reporting of racial issues or alleged racial issues. Okay. And I'm going to say this also uh, with regard to Allison and Ziz's comments as well, because I think they also brought up some some key points in the conversation. So I'll do my best to go three minutes. All right. Okay. So in terms of the media and the conversation that what's being brought about with uh, racial tension, racial injustice, first of all, um, I know somebody brought up ABC, but I'm like, but Disney owns ABC and Fox. So that's two networks. So it's like as much as things can look different, they are very much the same. Uh, even still, you know, with the same times about like uh, how our information is being sold on social media and the things that we're into continuously get brought up in front of our face. And on one hand, that's our own responsibility. So that's that. Um, I do agree 100 percent with every four years as soon as the election comes up. Yep. Racial tensions are increased because we do respond, especially um, especially colored people emotionally to whatever is going on. We already know that fear is a tactic, uh, emotions, excitement, those things are a tactic as well. And um, <laughs> yeah, as much as the media does do, you know, attention grabbing and storytelling, I would also 100% say, always look who's behind it, always. It's, ne it's usually never about what you see in front of your face. Um, but considering like, just to say, okay, well, you know, racial tension, if you stop talking about it, it's going to go away. 
disagree 100 percent um we as people like there are things there are things inside of us that we don't talk about there are our own faults our own flaws our own experiences so it's like if racism was never reported but you experienced it on the street that's still something that's never going to leave you period and that story is going to get told to somebody else whether it's your children your best friend so on and so forth so whether that story never gets reported in front of a uh, iPad screen or an iPhone screen or an actual TV screen, that story still lives, whether it's reported or not. And that's going on between two people. And since we're people and we live inside a community, those things and those feelings, unless they're brought up and dealt with, are going to continue to stay there. That's just that. Um, but also just in terms of racism, like going back in the country, I can truthfully say that if we look at how our country was founded, I can truthfully say just with regards to black people, like it was not in their favor. Um, we can go say like year after year when we're well, like, okay, so with Trayvon Martin, like in 2012, Mike Brown uh, looking at 2016 and this year with George Floyd. Okay, let's go back to the nineties with uh, Rodney King. Let's go back again to the civil rights movement. Let's go back again to um, the Emancipation Proclamation and then having to wait until Juneteenth afterwards. For that liberation it's like why was nobody told it's like you know what i'm saying so there's there's always this underlying story and i'm not saying these things to be a conspiracy theorist i'm saying this because they're actual facts this is actual history this is actual truth you know what i mean so and i do know that concerning the media yeah man they do what they do if we were to look truthfully like between cnn and fox it's like bruh same facts two different stories yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. So, so, so I, yeah, so I, I do agree with that. Um, and it's the same thing for Google, man. Like you could go on Google, you could type in something in the search bar, and I could give you fifty percent of answers going for one bias and fifty percent of answers going for the other bias. And that I think is like it's pretty disturbing. But I do know this: that what actual truth is is absolute, and truth is unbiased. And I can say that. So I, I, you know, I hope I did best with uh, answering that question, but you know, I'll just leave it at that just to respect the time. No, yeah, yeah. You've been listening to shut up and grind. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. Robert has over 20 years experience pouring his knowledge and expertise at many events in the service and fitness industry, as well as secondary schools and universities. He has a true passion for helping others break through the barriers that are holding them back. To book Robert B. Foster to speak or to reach out, go to robertbfoster.com slash speaks on Instagram at Robert underscore B underscore Foster. On Twitter at RBF underscore fitness and on Facebook at Robert B. Foster. Till next time, shut up and grind.